Hey friends, we hope this message from C3 Fort Worth helps you see Jesus like never before. And if you're in or around Fort Worth, we'd love to meet you on a Sunday or at one of our weekly dinner parties. Y'all ready today? I want to talk for, I want to talk for a moment on the, on the subject or the idea of um, keep it moving. Keep it moving. Come on, somebody, just, just, just do me a favor. Talk to somebody next to you. Just say, keep it moving. Keep it moving. Find somebody that, that look like they got their good shoes on um, and just say, sir, ma'am, just keep it moving. Just keep it moving. Just keep it moving. When thinking about this topic of faith, um, for many of us, there is no other name that comes to mind quicker than the name of Abraham. Um, whenever we're discussing the topic of faith or the reality of faith or the process of faith, no other biblical figure aside from more likely Jesus himself comes to mind than the name of Father Abraham. Y'all know we learned Father Abraham um, in Vacation Bible School. Come on, y'all. Y'all know about Vacation Bible School. Vacation Bible School and the Sunday School and the little booklets there, the little, the little, the little cutout picture that you would put on the wall. Uh, we learned about Father Abraham and him and all of his many sons um, and all, you know, all the good old nursery rhymes we learned back in the day. Um, and, and it is almost really impossible to really even talk about faith and not even consider talking about Abraham. Because when, we, when, we, when we're dealing with this idea of faith, it is, it, it, uh, Abraham has been dubbed, he was kind of christened the father of faith. And so we, it's impossible to talk about faith without talking about Abraham. Now, most of, the time, most of the time when we're talking about Abraham, we tend to kind of center our conversation around his um, extraordinary um, heroic acts and his demonstrations of his faith um, during his time in Scripture. Um, and we celebrate that. We honor Abraham for all that he did. We honor and we celebrate Abraham for the journey that he had and all that he taught us and really revolutionizing what faith looks like for many of us. Um, and today is no different. We're, we're not going to take that away from Abraham. Uh, but we're going to spend some time talking about Abraham and his unwavering commitment to believe and follow God even on today. But we're not going to take the usual route to Abraham's story. So, so you, know, you, know, you know, we're going to take what I call the scenic route. Y'all ready? Y'all understand? We're going we're going to take the scenic route. And I know some people don't like the scenic route because it takes longer to get to where you're going to. But I'm of the belief that if you like to travel, sometimes there are some things that you don't see going the straight direction. But when, but when you take the scenic route, there's some gems, there's some treasures, there's some, there's some visuals that God shows you along the way. And so we're going to take the scenic route. And I promise you, when we get to our destination, it's going to be very simple. But I believe it's going to be very prophetic for many of us in here today. Y'all ready to go with me for a moment? Um, um, if, if you would, do, just, just kind of do me a favor. Um, we are definitely going to hit on some of the critical events of Abraham's story and, you know, all the things that we talk about all the time about him. Uh, but I think it's very important that we lay some groundwork and some framework for Abraham. I am of the belief that in order to really appreciate um, um, the writings of an individual, you have to know the person. Um, in order to really understand and grasp the meat of what they wrote, you have to know their life. Um, because oftentimes when they wrote, they wrote from whatever they were going through in their lifetime. And so I find it very crucial and critical that we take some time just kind of doing what I like to consider case studies on these individuals to understand where were they when they were talking this? How were they thinking? What was going on inside their mind when they pinned that thing that we hoop and holler and shout about? What was really going on? And so then we're going to kind of take a little, uh, little, little, little excavation of Abraham's story, if y'all don't mind, for a second. 
let's kind of let's lay the background for a moment about Abraham's life um, and just a little background of Abraham and his, and his um, family. Abraham was from a small town named Ur. Y'all come on, somebody say Ur. 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 Uh, I, you know, that, that just sounds nasty. Ur. Uh, Abraham was from Ur, um, which is in Mesopotamia, which is modern day, um, the, what we consider the Middle East. Um, so near your Iraq and the things like that over there is that, you know, Abraham was from uh, on that particular geographical location. Um, and the culture that Abraham grew up in was a very polytheistic culture. If you know anything about polytheism, it is basically your mindset is we believe that there is not just one God to get to where we need to get to, but there is a belief in many gods. There are, so, there are many ways to get to the Lord. Um, and so Abraham grew up in this, this polytheistic culture. Um, and to them, whatever had the ability and the opportunity to provide for them what they needed in the culture, that's, then they made that person a god. Um, for, for, for them, um, people could be gods. For them, um, your trees can be gods. For them, uh, you, know, you know, livestock can be God. Uh, but whatever it was that had the ability to give what they needed, that person or that thing became somebody I could worship. And among the many of those gods that they had, there was one who was definitely probably the VIP god um, of, that, of, the, of that day, and her name was Nana. Somebody say Nana. I'm not talking about Grandma. I'm not talking about Mima. Um, but I'm talking about a god named Nana. And Nana, for what many of us may not understand, um, Nana was the lunar or the moon god. And Nana, for them, was the god who provided fertility to crops, to livestock, and to families. Now, I want you to make sure you put a pin there because that's going to be very important as we come back to that for a moment. Nana, remember the name Nana, from, who provided fertility, life, and growth to land and crops and cattle and livestock and families. Um, so what people would do is they would pray to Nana that Nana would give them the ability to produce and that Nana would give them and, and would make their cattle and would make their livestock and would make their people fertile because they considered Nana to have the power to produce life. Abraham had a father, and his father's name was Terah. And Terah, um, who was a patriarch of the family, um, we're not really told much about Abraham's mother, uh, but we know he had one. I mean, duh. You know, we, you know, we, you know, we, you know he, had, he had to have somebody get him here. Um, but his father is mentioned very briefly, but, and I'm, I'm of the belief that any time the Scripture, God is not, he doesn't do anything by accident. Um, any time he writes something in Scripture and he provides a name for it, um, he does it very purposely. And I think that um, even when he named Terah and did not name the mother, there was very intentionality behind that. Um, and when we understand Abraham's father um, and, and understand um, Terah, um, there, I think there are some specific reasonings as to why God put him in there. We meet Terah at the end of chapter 11 here, prior to where we are in our text. Um, and you go back to chapter 11, it says that God, um, that Terah took his son Abram and his nephew Lot, and then they set out for Ur, Ur uh, set out from Ur, which is their homeland, and they went to Canaan. But on their way to Canaan, they settled in a place called Haran. 
And I want you to um, do, my, do, do, a, do me a favor. Make sure you remember the name Haran. Um, they settled in Haran. And, and when I was studying, I, I, you know, I sometimes when I read, I'm, um, I'm very visual. I used to want to be a, um, an actor. Um, I still do, actually. Um, and uh, I, I went to acting school for a few months, um, you know, and I just tell my teachers that my goal is, you know, you know, you know, when they, you know, you get to your first class, they say, what do you want to do when you grow up? I say, I want to be bigger than Denzel. <laughs> I promise you, that was my statement for every one of my classes. English class, I want to be bigger than Denzel. Filmmaking, bigger than Denzel. You know, that was my thing. And so when I read scriptures, I read it and I see it as a movie. I, it kind of plays in my head almost like, uh, depending on who I'm reading, it could be rated R. Um, you know, sometimes it could be some PG-13. And, and, and you, know, you, you know, especially if you start going over to, to Solomon, it could be some TVMA. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, there is a lot uh, 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 that I see when I read the scripture. Um, and so I, when I was kind of reading this and I was studying and I began to ask God this question of, um, Abraham's a grown man. Why did he have to follow his father? He's a whole grown man with a wife and still had to follow daddy. Now, how many, how many married wives we got in here? How many wives we got in here? How would you feel you're married? And your husband said, baby, guess what? We finna move with daddy. <laughs> baby, guess what? Listen, I know, I know they're the best, but guess what? We're gonna have our own room. What? I mean, we're I mean, we gonna, we gonna live it up. We ain't gotta pay no bills. I mean, I mean daddy got it. You know, it, it's all good. And it, it's, it's, so, it's quite interesting because in my mind, I'm like, why in the world? I mean, you know, why would he, you know, for the need to follow, follow daddy. But then what the Lord showed me um, in kind of some further research was, number one, that is in that time it was customary that the patriarch of the family was responsible for those um, and served as a covering for their unmarried daughters and for their sons and their dependents. So in other words, wherever father went... So did the family. Wherever daddy said we got to go, so did daddy say, so, so, so we're going to go. And so here they are, Terah over in chapter 11. The Bible says that they were in Ur and they set out to Canaan, but they settled in a place called Haran. And here's where things kind of take a drastic turn. We know from the scripture that they spent at least 25 years in Haran. At least 25 years. While in this place called Haran, Terah eventually dies. And Haran is the place where Abraham receives the call of God on his life. But there's some significance about that place called Haran that I don't want you to miss even as we're going through this journey today. That name Haran, in its original language, it means road or pathway. Haran was situated geographically to be one of the uh, right in the center of some of the major trading routes there in the Middle East. 
And so Haran is important not just because of where it is, but because of what it represents and what it symbolizes. Because when you understand and you do further research on Haran, you understand that Haran represents a crossroad. It represents a point of decision. It represents the crux of a problem. It represents the place where I have to make a decision whether I'm going to go or I'm going to stay right here. It represents the place for many of us whether I'm going to move in faith or stand in fear. So Haran is the place of the decision. And when you look at Abraham's life, you begin, begin to ask your question like I did. Well, God, well, what decision did he have to make? Most times when we read chapter, 11, um, chapter 12 um, and we hear the call of Abraham and we see his response, it sounds so beautiful to think, oh, my gosh, the Lord said go and he just went. Abraham, Abram, go. Sure. It sounds beautiful. But I want you to hear something. Hear me now. Hear me good. I want you to understand something. That when we hear the call of God to Abraham in chapter 12, this was not the first time God called him. You don't believe me? Follow me. Acts chapter 7. Then the high priest asked Stephen, are these charges true? To this he replied, brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, watch this, while he was still in Mesopotamia. What did it say? Before he lived in Haran. So what does that mean? It means... That when God called Abraham in chapter 12 in Haran, he had to repeat himself for something he already told him. So the point of the decision that Abraham had to make was, am I finally going to respond to God in obedience? Haran was, am I, I have a decision to make. Am I finally going to move in faith like God had already told me to many years ago? Can anybody relate to Abraham's story? But you're like, oh my gosh, I know God told me to do this five years ago. I know I had a prophetic word to do this many years ago and I never did it. I know, I know I should have been, I made that decision. I know I should have made that move. I know I should have wrote that book. I know I should have started that company. But, but because I've been, I've been too used to following daddy. My distraction that I, I forced God to have to repeat himself 25 years later. So I begin to ask God, what was different about this time that made it so much easier for Abram to move this time than he did the first time? And one thing the Lord showed me was, once again, because in that culture, as long as you were under my roof, 
you followed my rules. Watch this. Watch how strategic God is. Because you have to follow the rules and the beliefs and the customs of the patriarch, what God allowed to happen was he allowed Terah to die in Haran so that Abram, at 75 years old, now had the time where he no longer had daddy to rely upon. Watch this. Now he had to believe God for himself. I don't know about you, but how many, how many of us can attest to the fact that there are some, there are some relationships that we use as a crutch. There were some, there were some relationships that we have um, that, that unfortunately serve as a hindrance to doing what God has called us to do. And so sometimes God has to allow something to die off real quickly in order for us to hear him clearly this time and move forward without excuse. So God meets Abraham in Haran at this crossroad and repeats to him, son, are you finally going to do what I told you to do 25 years ago? So now when you hear, and, Abraham, and the Lord told Abraham to go, so Abram went, you understand that it wasn't just some happy-go-lucky thing. You understand that at this point, this is God repeating himself, and I'm sure, like most fathers, he probably didn't say it that nice. Because the fact that I have to repeat myself to you. See, when we read the scripture sometimes, you know, we read it as this God who likes to sit on clouds and blow you kisses all day long. But there was a side of God that I don't think many of us really understand, that there's a side of God um, that, that, that talks about him as a father, that talks about him as a judge, that talks about him um, as, 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 you know, somebody who corrects us, who chastises us. But the Bible says that he chastens those who he loves. And I'm sure that when God came back to Haran 25 years later, I'm sure it was not some, all right, Abraham, are you ready now? And so Abraham had to make a decision of whether or not he was going to finally believe God. What is Abraham leaving behind? I think that's also important as well. Because I'm of the belief that anytime God calls you to something, he's simultaneously calling you out of something. So I think it's important to understand what is Abraham leaving behind? And I want you to understand something, that when God calls Abraham, um, what God gives him is called, it, it, it's actually a three-part call that I want you to make sure you understand. Theologians say that the call of Abraham happened at three different levels of sacrifice. Three different pressure points. Three different pain levels for Abraham, and I want you to understand where they were. They literally, he called him, and each level of sacrifice, it, worked, it, was mo it came from what was most external, and it worked its way in to his internal members. What I mean by that? 
The Lord said, leave your country, your homeland. That represents when you understand what that looks like in its original language. It is talking about, listen, leave the country where you, where you were born. Leave what you know. And then he said, and leave your people. That people represents your relatives. And then he took an even deeper jab and said, and leave your father's house. The father's house, and you, when you understand that in his original language, it means your closest relationships. So what God was telling Abraham, I don't just need you to leave Ur. I need you to leave Ur. I need you to leave your people. And I need you to leave your father's belief systems. I need you to leave everything you heard. I need you to, I need you to leave everything you were taught. I need you to leave everything that you grew up believing. I need you to leave everything that you thought was correct and true. I need you to leave everything behind. Because what I'm going to do with you cannot bring, you can't bring your old into your new. And so I need you to leave three different levels of pain. I know I'm asking you a lot, Abraham. I know I'm asking you to do a whole lot. I'm not just asking you just to move and relocate, but I'm asking you to literally give up everything you had. I'm asking you to give up everybody you knew. I'm asking you to turn your back on everybody who you thought was for you. I know, Abraham. I'm asking you to do a whole lot. But if you only knew what was on the other side of your yes, if you only knew what was on the other side of you being willing to do what I told you to do 25 years ago, if you only knew that there was something else on the other side of this, baby, understand this, that what you're leaving behind can't compare to what I'm going to bring forth you and your future and what you're leaving behind it is not worth uh, being, being, being caught up in that because what, what you're giving behind is not compared to what I got for you on the other side of your yes and I just want to believe that there's some people in here today who says Lord I've given up a whole lot already but God is saying I know you did baby I know you gave up a whole lot but guess what on the other side of your yes there's a, there, there's a numerous stars there's numerous blessings there's, there, there's so much more for you if you would just say yes. When God told Abraham to leave his father's house, this one was the most important because it didn't just, it didn't just involve the, the closer relationships, but it also called him to leave behind his former belief system of polytheism. Remember, Abraham grew up in the faith of other gods, many gods, and things of that nature. So the process and part of Abraham's call was that God was calling him out of a faulty belief system and into a faith that lasts. Here's a word of warning for somebody in here today. Could it be that some of the things that you've been waiting to see in your life hasn't happened because you have a faulty belief system? You say with your mouth, I believe God, but your actions say, well, I don't really know what's going what's to happen. You say with your mouth, I believe God, but your actions show that, well, I actually have many gods. Well, you may say, well, no, nah, I believe, I come to church, I believe God, I, I pray and I read all day. Yeah, but maybe your God is your money. Ah, but maybe your God is your education. Ah, but maybe your God is your family members. 
Oh, you know, you know, when you say, well, no, preacher, I, don't got, I ain't got that problem. You know, I, I understand that, that, you know, that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and everything that dwells therein. And, and I understand that he owned the, the cattle on a thousand hills. So ain't no problem with that. So, 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 so that's not my God. Well, maybe your God is your intellect. You think you know so much. And your, and your mindset has become a God to you. Remember Nana? Y'all remember Nana? You remember Nana over, like we talked about? Nana had the power. Remember what she had the power to do? The power to produce. And, and she made people fertile, remember? Remember she promised livestock. She promised land and crop. And remember she also promised families, right? What were God's promises to Abraham? Land? When he, when, when he said, I will bless you, that word bless in his original language, it means a material blessing. And one of, the, one of the, the most common ways that people were blessed and made wealthy in that time was through their cattle and their livestock. So he said, I will bless you with the land. He said, I, he said I'm going to bless you with your livestock and your cattle. And then he said, I'm going I'm to make your name great. I'm going I'm to give you descendants. So in other words, he said, I'm going to give you children. So what was God showing Abraham? Everything that you believe Nana for. <laughs> everything that you thought Nana was going to give you. Baby, I got everything that you thought that that other God had for you. If you say yes to me, I'll give you land. If you say yes to me, I'll give you your crop. If you say yes to me, I'll make your name great. If you say yes to me, I'll give you your children. Everything you thought Nana was going to give you. No, baby, my name is God. My name is Father. My name is Abba. Abba. I'm going to give you everything you thought Nana had for you. Listen. The first blessing that God, gave, that God gave Abraham was not his stuff. It wasn't the land. It wasn't the children. It wasn't the cattle. The first blessing that God gave Abraham was the blessing of a new foundation. And I don't know who needs to hear this in here today. But maybe you in here can, can attest to what it feels like to spend so much time putting your faith in something or somebody that can do nothing for you. Maybe you're in here, maybe your faith is, this may sound real crazy, but just go with me. Maybe your faith is in your fears. You believe more in hypotheticals than the Word of God for your life. Your belief system lies more so in the what if rather than the who is. So before God called Abraham and told him where I'm going to take you, he said, listen, this is what I'm bringing you out of. We out of this. We understand Abraham heads to Canaan the promised land, the place that he was made for. And we understand the first thing that God, um, and I want to I make sure we understand something, that while Abraham was on his journey, the first thing that Abraham encountered wasn't the promise. The first thing he saw 
on his journey of believing God was opposition. The first thing he saw, the Bible says, when he, as he was going, the first thing he came, he came up and he looked over into the land and he saw the Canaanites were there. Then he said, he looked over and at the same time the Canaanites were there, there was a famine in the land. So here I am, God. You're calling me on this journey. You're telling me I got to follow you. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what it's going to look like. All I have is go where I'm going to show you. And when I stop and I look over into what you called me to, it doesn't look like what I thought it was going to look like because I, when I, as I'm looking, I see other people over there. As I'm looking, it looks scarce over here. The resources are dried up. I don't know how we're going to eat. I don't know how we're going to live. I don't know how we're going to do this thing. And this is where you called me to go to? And then the Lord shows up. And he tells him, this is the land I'm calling you to. Yes, I know the Canaanites are in the land already, but it's yours. I know there's a famine over here in Canaan right now, but guess what? I'm going to feed you. And he tells them, and I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to give this land to your descendants. And he tells Abraham, you're going to have descendants at a time when Abraham didn't have one child. So we know Abraham experiences a whole lot on his journey, and we don't have time to really unpack everything that he experienced him. Um, but I can't go another further without making sure we hit on, you know, the story we all love to read, the most prized, um, the most prized story of Abraham's journey, and that is Abraham and Isaac on the mountain. And, and we understand that the climax of Abraham's journey is this when God commanded um, Abraham to go and offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice unto the Lord. And I want you to please, ladies and gentlemen, follow me as we go through this because I want you to understand something. When you look at Isaac, please don't just see a little boy. Please don't just see a son. But I want you to understand that Isaac does not just represent Isaac in a literal sense. But Isaac was symbolic. Isaac was a representation of what God was going to do through Abraham. Why? Because remember, the Lord told Abraham uh, that I'm going to uh, make you a great nation. And how would he make Abraham a great nation if he didn't have children? And so we understand that Isaac played a crucial role in Abraham's journey. Um, and so when God, uh, uh, had Abraham actually killed Isaac, it would have thwarted the whole plan of God for his life. And so when we understand that when Abraham went, was up to going to the mountain, and he said, he, he brought some men with him and said, listen, come on and go with me for a moment. The Lord has, a, has something we got to do here. And when they get to the edge of the mountain, he tells the men, y'all wait right here. And he said, me and the boy are going to go worship, and then we're going to come right back to you. Now, here's the thing. When Abraham and Isaac got up to the mountain, and he was getting ready to lay his son down on the altar of sacrifice. The Bible records that as Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice his son, his only son, we heard that the Bible says that, that the Lord appeared and said, don't you lay a hand on the boy. Here, what I want you to understand, here is the revelation in Isaac. Isaac was not 
just his son, but Isaac represented the future of Abraham. So when Abraham was willing to lay his son on the altar, what he was telling God was, because I was able to trust you with my past, I can lay my future down on the altar. If I can trust you with my past, I can trust you with my future. That's why when the Lord shows up and says, don't lay a hand on him, now I know that you believe me because you are willing to give up what you've never seen yet. And the Lord tells him, because you obeyed me. Look over there, there's a ram in the bush. Here's the beautiful part about that. Because when Abraham told the men to stay at the end of the edge of the mountain, while we and me and the boy go up and worship, and we'll come back to you. The Lord said when he intervened into the, the potential sacrifice, he said, now I know that you trust me and you believe me. And because you've obeyed me, I want you to understand something. Here is what we often miss. What Abraham saw as obedience, God received as worship. So when Abraham said, wait here while we go worship, what he was saying is, my worship deserves every bit of sacrifice I have. My sacrifice is a sign of worship to the Lord. What I'm willing to give up is a sign of worship to the Lord. And when the Lord receives my worship, and he counts my obedience as righteousness because I believed him. We understand that the Lord receives everything and the best that I have, my one and only. He receives it as an opportunity of worship. All throughout Abraham's journey, we see patterns of his experiences and his God encounters. We see it when God first calls him in Ur. We see it when, uh, um, when, when Terah and the household leave Ur and they settle in Haran and Terah dies and the Lord revisits Abraham and calls him again. When Abraham leaves home and he goes to the Canaanites and he sees the Canaanites in the land and he gets discouraged, the Lord shows up to him. When he sees the famine in the land and he gets worried about how we're going to eat, how we're going to make, how we're going to make a living, how we're going to do this, the Lord comes and reaffirms his promises. When he when he had to fight some kings because they had stolen his nephew and he was going to, he was like, oh my God, what are we going to do now? The Lord stepped up and reaffirmed his promises. When him and Lot begin to have some family conflict and they had to separate ways and he, he's probably discouraged and going through some crazy times with family, the Lord steps in and reaffirmed his promises. We see a pattern that every time, whenever Abraham got to a place of doubt, whenever Abraham got to a place of conflict, whenever Abraham got to a place of wondering what he was going to do, 
do and how he was going to make it and what tomorrow was going to look like. The pattern we see is the moment when I begin to wonder and worry about what it's going to look like, the Lord steps in and we affirm his promises. It, 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 it looked crazy. It looked like we're not going to have nothing. It looked like I've given up too much. But I want somebody to know today that just when you thought it was over, the Lord's going to step in and reaffirm his promises. I know you've given up a whole lot. I know you're worried about what it's going to look like. But let me help you understand something, ladies and gentlemen. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises to you. The Bible says that the promises of God are still yes and amen for my life. No matter what it looks like, I still believe God. And the part, the pattern that we have is that whenever God showed up and we affirmed his promises, it gave Abraham the courage to keep it moving. Whenever God showed up, he said, I haven't forgotten about you. I, know, I remember what I told you 25 years ago. I know. I know it's been taking a while, but I still mean what I said over your life. And it gave Abraham the courage to keep it moving. There are those who are in here right now whose faith in the promises of God over your life has been overshadowed by fear. They've been overshadowed by confusion and doubts and worry and anxiety. Let me help you understand something, ladies and gentlemen. You cannot allow your faith to be held hostage by current events. It takes courage to move into your tomorrow. There are some things, some people in here, and I believe that, 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 that this is for somebody. There are some things in here tonight that, um, that some people you've, let, you've laid aside, you've put away, you've given up on, you've walked away from it. You, 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 you said, I don't know, I, I mean, God, we're in the midst of a pandemic, but can I help somebody understand something today, that a pandemic don't stop God's promises for your life? Can I help somebody understand something today, that I don't care what, what kind of craziness the world is going through right now, that if God's it over your life, the promises, once again, the promises of God are still yes and amen over your life. Faith is not a one-time response, but it is a daily yes. It is a continual yes. And when I'm, it's, it's a yes when I'm afraid. It's a yes when I don't know how it's going to look. It's a yes when I'm crying. It's a yes when my family is going crazy. It's a yes when my faith is in shambles. It's a yes when I don't have the money for it, it's a yes. When I don't have the faith for it, it's a yes. When, when, when people don't believe in me, it's a yes. When I don't know how it's going to come to pass, it's a yes. When I don't know what it's going to look like, it's a yes. When I don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, it's a yes. When I don't understand what God's going to do with it, it's a yes. It's a daily yes. It's a continual yes. It's 
a yes that says, in the midst of a pandemic, I'll still say yes. It's a yes that says, I don't know, things don't look quite normal no more. It's still a yes, though. It's a yes that says, I don't know if I'm going to have the money for it, but I still say yes. Lift your hands right where you are, when you're wrong. And I feel like there are some people here today who are still stuck in your Haran. You're still stuck at your crossroads. You're still stuck at the point of your decision. You're still stuck at the place where you have to wonder and make up your mind if I'm going to move in faith or am I going to stand in fear. But let me help you understand something today. Faith finishes what it starts. Faith finishes what it starts. You say, well, how do you know, preacher? Because the Bible says that he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's my first and my last. And the Bible says that he that has begun a good work in me shall complete it. Hallelujah. I feel, I hear Abraham, I hear Jeremiah in here. Oh, I hear Jeremiah in here for somebody. I know the plans that I have for you. The plan to prosper you and not harm you. The plans to give you and expect it in. And I know the process looks crazy. I know the middle don't make sense. But if you will trust me with your future and you trust me with your past, and all you gotta do is work the middle, baby. Just work the middle. Just work the middle. Trust me in the middle. Believe me in the middle. I'll get you to your expected end. Lift up your hands. If this word is for anybody, and you know that you owe God a yes, if you know that you that you owe God a yes, yes to starting that company, yes to starting that ministry. Yes to starting that business. Yes to going back to school. Yes to having that family. Yes. 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 I don't get it, but yes. I don't understand it, but yes. If you owe God a yes, I'm going to ask that you will do me a favor and meet me here at the altar. If that's you, you said, I know. God is telling me to keep it moving. I've, I've been stagnant in my Haran. I've been stagnant here at the crossroad. I've been stagnant right here at the point of decision. And I don't really know what it's going to look like. I don't really know how it's going to make sense. I don't know how it's going to come to pass. But God, I owe you a yes. And I'm not going to make you wait any longer. I'm not going to make you wait another 25 years. I'm going to respond with the yes in my heart. I'm going to respond with the yes in my spirit. I'm going to respond with the yes on my lips. And I'm going to say, yes, God.
yes. You know what you know what your yes is for. You know what your yes is for. You know what you believe in God for. You know what you're asking God for. You know what God told you. You know what.